Good morning. My name is Julie Steele, and this morning our scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah. Please follow along in your Bibles, or you can use the screens. And I'll be reading Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4, from the New English Translation. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me to encourage the poor, to help the brokenhearted, to decree the release of captives and the freeing of prisoners, to announce the year when the Lord will show his favor, the day when our Lord will speak, ven- seek vengeance to console all who mourn, to strengthen those who mourn in Zion by giving them a turban instead of ashes, oil symbolizing joy instead of mourning, a garment symbolizing praise instead of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since the ancient times. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here, and you are going to see a miracle today. I'm only going to preach 25 to 30 minutes. Last service, I was about 26 minutes, so you guys are in for a sweet deal today. Um, A word about the Seahawks sort of thing going on at our church today with the time and with everybody wearing jerseys and the picture up front. Uh, When the Israelites were taken captive, uh, their great temptation was to insulate themselves from the rest of the city. Uh, But the word of the Lord came to them and the word told them to propagate in the city, to open up their doors, to get married and do commerce and to pray for the welfare of the city, get integrated into the life of the city. And that is the way they were going to be light and salt uh, to that land that was holding them hostage. And so translating that missional strategy to our day and time, uh, it means that we support the Seahawks. And uh, so that's a little theological framework and justification for our clothing today. All right. Um, Another comment is, uh, I'll be going on the men's retreat on Friday. I will be coming back uh, in time to preach on Sunday. But if you're a guy here, I really do want to encourage you to go. A retreat in general is the single most effective way to form connections at church, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Going to church for a whole year or going to small group together for six months sometimes can't accomplish what you can do in two days at a retreat. The barriers are down and the conversations you're able to have, the mode you're in just helps you. It's so effective in helping connections to form. So I would just encourage you to uh, take that step forward and say yes to this retreat experience opportunity. And you won't regret it. Nobody has ever come back from a retreat and thought, gosh darn it, I wish I didn't meet all those wonderful people. Okay? Uh, I also share the men's retreat plug because I want to tell a story uh, that I think is, in general, sort of stereotypically true of men more than women. Uh, It's not true for every guy or gal, but it's generally true, and so I want to start with that. 
Uh, last week, I shared with you all about my uh, growth edge in, uh, with regard to the area of love and how others experience me, that uh, sometimes people don't experience a lot of love uh, from me. I'm sort of more of a doer and a leader type kind of guy, but love, that's a little bit uh, less frequent in their experience. And I continue to process that, and I've been thinking a lot more about it. And uh, these two thoughts I had this week uh, I want to share with you. The first is that years ago, uh, in the year specifically 1998, I was at what they call an Alpha Course uh, training event. Uh, the Alpha Course is a Bible study that's designed for people who are exploring Christianity. And uh, the leaders who founded that movement were over uh, in Boston, and they were leading a conference uh, for people. And what I didn't know was that the final day of the conference ends with the speaker calling out different spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible. And the speaker said, if you hear the gift that you want to receive, then step into the center aisle and I will pray for you to receive that gift. Prior to that, twice, bef- uh, twice I had heard uh, in a very unique way Uh, God communicated to me that he was giving me the gift of healing, so-called gift of healing. And so I was, this third time now, waiting for him to call out the gift of healing. Now, um, I was praying and I never did hear it. uh, But while I was standing there in my pew praying, um, I started feeling needles in my feet. And so trying to get rid of the needles, I thought maybe I had my knees locked for too long. I started stamping my feet like this, you know. Um, And then I started feeling needles in my hands. And so I started squeezing my hands like this and then trying to shake out the needles, get the blood flowing. And then I heard the speaker and he said, there are some of you in this room. Now, there were thousands of people in the room. He said, some of you in this room have been feeling, uh, and he used uh, I think what I think is kind of a cheesy term, he said, the electricity of the Lord, uh, especially in your extremities. For those of you who are feeling this, the Lord wants you to know that you already have the gift of healing. That's what he said. And that really cut me to the heart. And uh, I started praying, and there's a sort of brokenness I was experiencing. But the first prayer that I started praying uh, after that was, God, what good is power without love? And so I began to pray for God to help me to be a more loving person. And I was thinking about that this week, that since 98, I've been praying that prayer. And to this day, I'm still praying for God to do this work of helping me to be a more loving person. And it was encouraging to me because I am really incapable of working on this myself. And I'm sure I'm not where I was at in 1998. And I'm sure there are more layers and levels to this that I will experience another 15 years from now. But it's encouraging to know that God is the one who has his finger on it and he's working on it on my behalf. The second uh, thing I want to share with you is that I was meeting with my spiritual director this week, and she really helped me to put some words to what I'm uh, 
trying to grow in, and it's this. My being a more uh, analytically bent person and more of a thinking-oriented person, I can, because of my intuitive nature, I can articulate, see, know, and even understand feelings around me, either my own or other people's. Sometimes I'm better at naming their feelings than they are. But I really struggle with knowing how to give it legitimate space and allow myself to feel the feeling and be vulnerable to it. Does that kind of sound like a typical guy thing where we think feelings? You know, and uh, it was really helpful for me to see that about myself, that I can know a feeling, but I really struggle with feeling a feeling and being vulnerable to it. Now, the reason I share this with you is that I recognize that these two things, you know, the struggle with knowing how to be a loving person and knowing how to be vulnerable to a feeling, I consider these things to be an area of deep weakness and brokenness for me. When I think about that, I experience it as an area where I don't feel whole. I feel like something is wrong with me there. And I think about my uh, history and I realize that there are people who have been hurt and who have been wounded by my being this way. And most of the times I wasn't aware of it. I didn't acknowledge their pain or validate it or understand it. And that really uh, breaks my heart to think that. And I want to share this with you because my goal today for the sermon is to give you permission to be a broken person. My thought today is that all of us in this room are very broken. All of us have weaknesses that we bring to the table. There's nobody in this room who meets up to their own ideals. We are all sort of damaged, and we're all strugglers in our own way. And I want to give you permission to be that. And I want to show you what God thinks about your own brokenness and weakness. Let me ask you to do two things. Um, Think about one person in your life. And list out their top three weaknesses. A lot of smirks in this room right now. Okay, now think about yourself. Name your own top three weaknesses or patterns or what others would say is wrong with you. Or what they least like about you or enjoy about you. Glad to see no elbows in the room. Okay, now uh, come with me. Put your finger on these thoughts. And uh, come with me to Isaiah 61 for two points. Okay, one, he is the one. And two, we are the they. That just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? We are the they. All right. He is the one. Let's begin with verse one. 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has chosen me. He has commissioned me. Now, in this verse, who is the me? Is it you? No, this is Jesus, actually. And this verse, we know with absolute certainty that it's talking about Jesus because Jesus stood up in front of his church and he read this very verse and he said, this verse is about me. It's fulfilled in your hearing. And the hearers got so upset by this that they grabbed him and dragged him and tried to throw him off a cliff and somehow Jesus escaped. Okay, that's the story. So we know this is not about anybody else, but it's about the Messiah. He is the one who has the spirit of the sovereign Lord on him. And what that means is that when you boil God down to his true essence, like who is God? The spirit of a thing, the spirit of a matter, you know, the spirit of a law, that kind of thing. Right, The Spirit of God is on him. So he is fully God. He represents God perfectly. That's what that means. Because the Lord has chosen me, it says. He has commissioned me. So it's Jesus we're talking about. Now, for what? Why was he chosen? Why is God's Spirit on him? Well, it's for the poor the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoners, the favorless, the wronged, the mourners, the weak, and the discouraged. That's what the passage says. Now, who are these so-called poor people? Who is that talking about? Talking about us, you and me, right? We are not the one that has been commissioned. We are not the one that has been chosen, but we are the broken Right? The favorless, the wrong, the mourners, the prisoner, the captive. Okay? Now, second, we are the they. Verse 3 to 4 says this. They will be called oaks of righteousness, trees planted by the Lord to reveal his splendor. They will rebuild the perpetual ruins and restore the places that were desolate. They will reestablish the ruined cities, the places that have been desolate since ancient times. Is Jesus the oak of righteousness, the tree planted by the Lord? No, it's not. Who is this they that are going to be planted by the Lord, who is going to reveal God's splendor? That's the uh, Hebrew term for glorify, who is going to glorify God. Who are these people? That's the day. So here we have Jesus who has been commissioned. And then we have Jesus commissioned to reach out to the poor and the captive and the downtrodden. And then it's those very same people who become the oaks of righteousness who glorify God. So you really have to trace who is what in this passage. Because I don't want you to miss this most important truth. Okay, and here is the truth I want to tell you. A principle. The primary way God glorifies himself in people is through contrast and surprise. 
Now, I don't know if you're at a place in your life where you believe this yet. I don't know if you believe that the way God glorifies himself primarily is through your well-being and success. I don't know if you believe that God glorifies himself primarily through the wins in your life. But I want to tell you that I have come to a place and it really affects the way I view myself, my value system, how I judge my day-to-day-to-day life. When I have come to realize that the primary way that God receives glory through me is through contrast and surprise. You really have to think about this. You have to read the scriptures. You have to think about your own life and the moments when God received the most glory through you. Was it when you were winning at life? Was was it when you were feeling really good because you were succeeding and faring well? I don't think you can really know that right now. You have to think deeply about it and then come to your own conclusion. This is my submission to you, that the primary way God glorifies himself in people is through contrast and surprise. Jesus is the one who has the spirit of the sovereign Lord. Jesus is the one who has been commissioned and chosen. And he reached out to me, who was broken and downtrodden, and without privilege. And he somehow filled this earthen vessel. And I, who should not have been, in his own time and in his own way, he is establishing me to be an oak of righteousness. And it's not righteousness in the way I deem it, or success in the way I measure it. But somehow he receives glory through that. And his ways are not like my ways. If it were up to me, I would have won the lotto several times already. Um, Story here. The picture you see is uh, the first class seat in a Korean air flight. And my people, the Koreans, south or north, have become famous these days. This particular story has to do with uh, what they call the Korean Air Nut Rage Incident. Uh, Miss Cho, who is the VP, who was the VP and the apparent heiress to the Korean Air Empire, uh, is in a ton of legal trouble now uh, after becoming outraged for being served macadamia nuts sans plate. Uh, She, quote unquote, jabbed Chief Purser with a rule book. For that and ordering the flight back to the gate to kick him off, prosecutors threw the book at her. Four charges of violating aviation security law in changing flight plans, assault on a plane, coercion, and finally interference with duty. She faces a minimum of one year in prison with a maximum of 15 years. All of that, nothing compared to the shame she's brought upon her Self and her family. Trust me if you know Korean people. Now, is she crazy? Is she uniquely crazy? Uh, It's actually a common problem with the third generation of wealth. 
the first generation are entrepreneurs. They establish the business. The second generation grow alongside the expansion of that business. And when they inherit the business, they tend to expand the business, either through merger or uh, true expansion. Both generations, the first and the second, tend to do well uh, because the theory goes they both know hardship. The third generation almost universally tends to be pampered, privileged, and therefore untried. It's a national conundrum and problem for prior generations in South Korea and in North Korea with the current dictator. And this is a problem in uh, every country around the world, sociologists would tell you, including the U.S. It's a third-generation wealth problem that's very common. Uh, When I was um, in my uh, church consulting job previously, uh, I was flying 100 to 150,000 miles a year uh, on American Airlines. I had the top status, Amer- uh, executive platinum, and this was before the merger. And uh, believe it or not, for three years straight in a row, I was upgraded to first or business class on every single flight that I flew that had physically had a, a first or business class section. And it took me all of two seconds to get used to the upgraded experience. <laughs> I bypassed lines and the stricter uh, TSA security requirements. I boarded first. I deplaned first. While they were still annoyingly boarding, uh, I was being served refreshments and pillows and slippers and blankets with a smile. Uh, the so-called people back in coach became very uh, annoying to me, how they jockeyed with each other and vied for position and luggage space and how they struggled with uh, their life, it looked like. And uh, the worst violation of all is when they breached the curtain and they used my first-class bathroom. I don't care if you're four. you got to take the walk back. And lots of stand-up comedians have picked up on this, but it is a universal feeling of awesomeness to be in first class compared to coach. You know, privilege and power is a funny thing. And it has a funny chemical reaction, the way it interacts with my humanity. It blinds me, it binds me, it insulates me, it weakens my character. And I felt... What remained most prominent in me were my expectations and entitlements. It's it's no wonder that the pleading of the Old Testament is remember from where you came. Remember when you were a stranger, when you were an alien, when you were an orphan, and I took you in. If you were to summarize the Old Testament in one word, I think top three, one of the words would be remember. Because the easy thing is to forget. I believe that God has uniquely gifted me with strengths and abilities and talents and experience. But I recognize that without the gift of my weaknesses and brokenness, I really am no good. I might even use the word worthless the way Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read it for us. If I, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. The word there is worthless. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. That is, it's of no worth or worthless. Do you believe that? That unless love is coming through you, that you are nothing, you are worthless? That you are just a broken clay jar without God's love in you and flowing through you? You believe that? See, I'm not sure I believe that. That's my struggle. Let me repeat the principle. The primary way God glorifies himself in people is through contrast and surprise. I think we really, if we are going to be valuable in any way, It's because of God's worth in us, filling us, us emptied of ourselves so that there's room for him and God flowing through us. Uh, I want to read you some verses as we conclude here. 2 Corinthians. uh, I'm going to be reading some Pauline passages, and I want to do this because uh, Paul, I think, really struggled with his strength and his weaknesses. He was the most learned man, perhaps the smartest man in the land. And yet, God was pleased not to use his intellect so much, but as his own sense of brokenness as a murderer of Christians. And he wrestled with that, and he wrestled with it in his letters. And uh, there is a way God used his intellect to exposit the gospel intellectually. But really, what he recognized was the power of God flowing through him in his weakness. And he said to me, this is Paul speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, listen to yourself and what you boast about. Hi, my name is Peter. I am this and I am that and I know this person and I work there and I've accomplished this and we're dropping things all the time. We're boasting. What are we boasting about? I want to give you a second principle. We love better in weakness than in strength. Is that true? Are you more keenly aware of hunger around you when you are full or when you are hungry? Some more Pauline verses. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with clever speech. Paul certainly had that. So that the cross of Christ would not become useless. 
Again, there's a purpose of contrast. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will thwart the cleverness of the intelligent. Where is the wise man? Where is the expert in the Mosaic law? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made the wisdom of the world foolish? For since the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased to save those who believe by the foolishness of preaching. For Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks ask for wisdom. But we preach about a crucified Christ, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Friends, fellow broken souls here, I want to tell you the power of light is in its contrast to the darkness. And the value of salt is in its contrasting flavor. And the very fact that I am just an earthen vessel is the very power of God in my words and talents and actions. If I were not to boast about my weaknesses, but I boasted about my strengths, sermon after sermon after sermon, you would walk away encouraged about me, but discouraged about yourself. Because even if you believed that I was strong, you would not believe that you are. Because you know you. That you struggle. And you live in that struggle. You're in that struggle. I want to encourage you. If you can't boast, at least give yourself permission to be honest about the fact that you struggle. For it is the power of God in you. I was going to tell a story about uh, a childhood trauma, but we're going to skip that. And I want to read you one final passage from 1 Corinthians. Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, help us to be honest with, be aware of, and even boast this week in our weakness in our foolishness and create space within ourselves and in our lives, in our speech, in our attitudes, in the ways that we come off to other people 
make room for you and your power and your strength so that you can glorify yourself through us who are broken. Let that happen this week. In Jesus' name, amen.